Let me tell you all the story of how I ran away from a tornado fresh out of football practice. I know it sounds unbelievable, but truly, 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 it's a story that I can tell very quickly to you all. I'm coming home. Just got home from football practice. I'm home alone. I had to be no more than maybe 16 or 17 years old. My mom is at work. My sister is at work. And they both call me almost simultaneously back to back or just, oh, you could say back to back. And they say to me, you need to get somewhere. You need to go somewhere. There's a storm happening. There's a tornado by the house. The sirens are about to go off. And like clockwork, the sirens went off. They went off and to be honest, I've never been the extremely anxious type when it comes to natural disasters in my home state of Tennessee. Because to me, what can we do if it's right here? <laughs> and it might sound morbid, it might sound a little bit, you know, you know, like careless, I guess, to have that type of mindset to not be hopeful. But to me, it's kind of like, you know, when it's, you never know when it's time and some and natural disasters, it's nothing you can do about that. You can only prepare and do your best. So I got my jacket, put my shoes back on, grabbed maybe a snack in my phone and started to walk towards a, a neighbor's storm shelter. Tennessee, you know, because we have tornadoes and storms a lot, some people have shelters. And this neighbor already told me and my family that we can utilize their storm shelter no matter what. We can use it if they're home or not home. We can go ahead. Behind their house was a pond. And on the other side of the pond was the other side of the neighborhood. I couldn't see through the fog across the pond to see the other houses on the other side. But I also started to see and notice what looked like a cloud coming down and sitting on the pond. And it was like a innate human survival response happened in my body. I immediately turned around. And from the time that I would say that I was maybe possibly 40 yards away from, I would say about 40 yards away from this pond. And from the time that I seen this cloud literally sit on the pond and me immediately turn around, a gust of wind, a large gust of wind was hitting me on the side of my face, on the left side of my face to the point to where my next step couldn't even be a straight step. So, I knew <laughs> in that moment, this storm is literally on my back. So I immediately started just sprinting across the street towards an, another neighbor's home who had a storm shelter, which was actually a lot closer to my house, but we just never, I never got that confirmation or permission to utilize their storm shelter in the case of a storm. I run as fast as I could. I get to this, to the opening of the shelter. I, 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 I swing open the handle, 
swing open the door. I, sw- I swing the handle, open the door, and I jump down. I probably skipped about five of the first steps just to jump down, reach back up, and closed it just in time as this big whoosh comes across the door. In that storm shelter was my neighbor, Jimmy. Jimmy was so surprised to see me jumping in there as anybody would. He spilled his beer, he had a radio in hand, and he would he screamed my name, Rodney. And I'm like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I, you know, I didn't, you know, I was outside and didn't know where to go, and I just came over here. I'm so sorry for just barging in. And he was just like, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And I noticed that he was still kind of frantic and kind of like, kind of shocked in this shocked space. And I'm like, are you okay? I'm sorry. I really am sorry for, you know, for scaring you if I did. And he was just like, no, it's okay. I mean, to be honest, I thought I locked it. Which you can lock this shelter from from the inside. I thought I locked it. So I realized, we both realized in that moment that I technically kind of saved both of our lives or we saved each other's lives. Because if he didn't lock that, I wouldn't have been able to get in and I would have definitely been whooshed away into the wind and thrown, you know, a hundred yards, you know, across the neighborhood. But he also would have been scooped out of that shelter and harmed himself. I painted a picture to commemorate that moment and I told you the story today. The power of storytelling is something that is very, very vital and something that I think is an essential element of what Braid is essentially trying to assist with. This is the Braid Podcast. I'm Rodney Perry, also known as King. And Braid is your new, new source for editing, sourcing, and publishing short form content. Today, we are speaking to podcaster as well as just overall digital creator, Rena Freeman Watts. Let's get into that conversation right after this featured highlight. Today's featured highlight is short, but sweet, because I would say that it's kind of a, if anything, a option within a feature. When you create a braid, you get the option of your maximum response length. I want to point this out because it goes as the minimum being 30 seconds and the maximum being 120 seconds. The reason why I say that is because there is something that is very key, a key element of Braid about you taking your time to say exactly what you need to say. Storytelling certainly is a corporation of those things. You speaking from a vulnerable, truthful, genuine space. Time can affect that. Time can make you nervous. Time can make you speak too fast, speak too slow. So many different things that are not truly authentic to who you are and the story that you're telling. So take your time and make sure when you are creating your next braid that you make sure that you are assessing how much time you need to say exactly what you want to ask to your community, but also how you would like to respond back to a braid. That was the featured highlight. Now let's get into the conversation with Rena Freeman Watts. Thank you. Welcome, welcome. I'm Rodney Perry. And today is yet again another special one. I have here with me another special guest for the Brave Podcast. 
I have here with me podcaster and overall just dope storyteller herself, Rena Freeman Watts. I like I like to I got to slow down because I want to say read Rena Freeman and Watts. You know, it's an inside joke that we already made, but I really, really want to welcome her to the show for you guys to not only get to know her, but for you to uh, understand why she should be here and why she should be a good example of somebody utilizing braid in a really cool way. How you doing, Rena? I am doing awesome. Thank you, Rodney, for that amazing high energy intro. You know, you got it. You got it. <laughs> you got to do it. You know, you got to do it. So first, um, yeah, I love your name. And I want to, you know, let everybody know that I love your name um, because I, I always like when people choose their person that they ultimately end up being in a long term relationship with. And the name still sounds good. You know, I've told a lot of my coworkers like, OK, you can love this man, but do not change your name. Cause that it sucks now. If you if you go from Megan, like like it'll be like a Megan like Carpicio or something. Like she'll have some real nice, cool Sicilian name, and then she's marrying this dude whose name is like Dan Brown. And it's like, so you really want to become Megan Brown instead of Megan Caprice? You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, come on now. So I always love when people choose the right people and they have great names, and it just adds on to the you know the character of it all. But no, how you feeling? You know, my kids got lucky because Watts is a very cool name. And so one of my great grandfathers was Eliezer, but he went by Laser. So I was like, we've got to call one of our kids Laser Watts. I mean, that's a thing. And then so we did that. But anything with Watts is pretty cool. Although my husband had a a grandfather, Richard, and we didn't want to do Dick Watts. There are some names. <laughs> that's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, we took the R. We did Raphael. You know, Raphael Watts is cool, but we that is a cool name too. That is a cool name too. Any, any, a lot of, and they need to bring those back. They need to bring back those. You know what I'm saying? Renaissance names and put them back in the mix. Very Ninja Turtle of y'all. I really appreciate that. It's very nostalgic. <laughs> um, no, so getting more into who you are because I know that you you've had your hands in a lot of things, you know, you've produced podcasts for a lot of different people. So you've been around a lot of talking, you know, I would love to know, like, had being Rena Freeman Watts, do you ever get tired of speaking? Uh, That's a great question. Yes. (laughs) I didn't think I would ever get tired of it, but I have found that it's good to do it when you're, you know, not under the weather or, (laughs) When you've had a a win or something that you've overcome, something that you want to talk about. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is I was even thinking about this interview and kind of some of what we discussed pre-interview. And one thing you said was, are there subjects that you don't want to talk about or that get too political? Like, how do you handle that? And you know, we're in political times and I saw this tweet recently and it said, can we agree to disagree? Mm. And I thought that that was such an interesting topic. And I, I asked my dad, what do you think of that? Can we agree to disagree? I personally like wouldn't have taken that question the way that my dad did. This is why I love having a podcast with him. Cause he gives me his own intergenerational perspective, but yeah. he said, I don't like to agree to disagree because if somebody is making absolutely no sense, agreeing to disagree is actually like crediting yes. something that's false. Yes. So you can let somebody speak their piece 
but you don't have to agree to disagree. You can actually say, I think you're wrong. <laughs> Period. And I, th- and I think that the world in terms of just the idea of the word discourse is something that people really aren't genuinely familiar with. I think when two people are talking, if they aren't in this very you know casual way of just speaking about something that they both have some interest in, if it's anything outside of that, it's a debate. It's a debate. News media. It's become that way. It's a debate. We're bringing on somebody who's maybe a left, right, center, somebody who's center, somebody who's a moderate, somebody who's all the way left to be all in the same room to talk. Even when sports, somebody who's a diehard delusional Cowboys fan, somebody who's at least a little bit more moderate and kind of bandwagons. And then somebody who's just giving hot, the hottest and dumbest hot takes on the left. You know what I'm saying? So it's like all that's how you design and produce a show now is to like create the best case scenario for these people to argue or be on the opposite ends of the thing. And to me, it's kind of like but discourse still has that a part of it. I can I can agree with you about parts of what you feel or better yet, we could just be on two different sides and it not sound so adversarial like Thanksgiving's coming up. We could sit here and talk about what really is needed to for it to truly be a Thanksgiving dinner, something that has to be on the menu. You might say a bunch of things that I'd be like, I don't need none of that. <laughs> but I might say I got to have this is like, I mean, that's something I could have on Christmas or another day. Or I don't really need that. We're still talking about the same thing, but just what our preferences are. And I think discourse is really has a space to gives us space for nuance and for us to not be trying to convince each other or win the conversation. And I think that the idea of, you know, agreeing to disagree does feel complicit to just, it feels like a way to concede and for people to just really be like, look, I'm not about to argue, which I ain't about to keep going back and forth. It is what it is. You know, it's a very, you know, roundabout way of doing that. But I think in certain topics for certain things, uh, especially when there's a large, you know, immediate precedence for us to be on the same page about something, I understand why somebody could leave any conversation being like, no, I still disagree. I still think you're wrong. I I still think this is wildly, you know, destructive in some way, shape or form, if that is what we're talking about. But I think the interesting thing about language is somebody could feel that way about the Care Bears. (laughs) Like they could feel that way about something that seems so innocent because that's the way most people view it. But let's say somebody with a mic sit there and, you know, pontificate on a million different ways as to why this thing is problematic. And, and why they feel like it's a thing and why they feel like all these things like we we see it every day where the proliferation of women getting higher, higher, you know, in corporate America, becoming CEOs and presidents of companies. There are men who have the there are men who have the characteristics and perspective of this to see it as well. See, this is what the problem is like. So women really need to be the breadwinners now. They really need to do all these things just from a few well, you know, upcomings from very specific individuals for very specific companies, hearing what those, if you wind up what those women's stories are, they had to do a lot to get to where they are usually. And there's so many men, so many men who feel like this whole idea of like, you know, the pay gap and all these things are obviously, you know, an illusion because you have these examples, you have these women, you have these people who are the bosses of the bosses of the bosses. So yeah, y'all are, that's, that's, I don't believe that. I don't think that that's a thing. Actually, I know a bunch of men who are still struggling, still trying to figure things out via corporate America or just in whatever industry. So mm, is that really a thing? I don't know. Perspective is interesting though. 
And that's why I think it's important for you to have your own platform so that you can have your own opinions. Thanks. And, you know, I've even gotten feedback from my from my audience stating that, you know, they don't like podcasts where you don't state your own opinion and that your opinions are always swayed by others. Like people are interested in actually your opinion and your experience and you can change your mind on things and that's totally fine, but have an opinion, have an opinion, share your experience, share, share, share the life that you've lived because it's unique and no one else has that path. I agree. I agree. You brought up your dad and your, your podcast is called better call daddy. Uh, first, I don't think I asked this in the pre-interview. How much do you get confused with uh, call your daddy? I'm hoping to get some runoff traffic. <laughs> I think maybe people look for that show and then they're like, oh, what's this? Yeah. Anything with daddy in the title is like guaranteed good SEO. But for sure. You know, her show is a little bit racier than mine. Mine is kind of wholesome. My dad is my co-host, my biggest supporter and number one fan. Mm-hmm. He weighs in at the end of every episode after I interview a guest, then he shares his intergenerational perspective. And, you know, I really feel like family is key and, you know, key to society and something that we all want and desire and need. And my dad has been a solid guy that I look up to. You know, he's been married to my mom for how old am I? 44 years. He's been <laughs> taking care of his parents and I've watched him take care of his parents. And mm. he's been a just a loyal brother and yeah. son and dad. And I feel like he, he's got a story to share, too, and a different life that he's lived. And I, I like to talk about different topics with him to to add his perspective. I love that. I love that. And I love that you certainly, you know, keep that's a very consistent thing that I think you definitely promote the idea of family, the idea of conversation, because I think so much of storytelling starts with your family. You know, you understanding and learning. Oh, how you know, how did I meet your mom? How did I meet your dad? You know, how 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 did how did our parents meet for us for us to come here? That is the overall oral story of how you got to be here. It's uh, it's if anything, storytelling with fam- within family is the first time you're ever hearing true, real first person anecdotes that speak to your existence. So it's such a powerful thing to kind of, you know, to tie that all together and personify that in a platform like Better Call Daddy. I really appreciate that. That's how you see that, because that's kind of what I've drawn from the the, the true significance of the platform that you built. And not only that, but like how many people are doing projects with their parents in their 40s? Yeah, that's the thing. That's definitely a thing. You're right. Like me and my dad have now gotten to work on something together and grow together as humans for the last, you know, three and a half years. And Mm -hmm. he looks forward to who I'm going to interview next. He never knows. He's like, do you need a reaction? What topic are we covering? You know, and his even reactions to the episodes have become so much deeper and he's become so much more comfortable. And Mm. I feel like all of the guests are influencing us and upping our wisdom rating, which is so cool. It's not just me sharing my dad's wisdom with the world, but everybody who comes on is elevating our game too. And you know that that I love that you, you know, that wisdom rating thing is something that you said before. And I really, really like that term. And I think, um, I feel like it's very essential and the overall, you know, element of, the byproduct of doing this, like producing a podcast, you gain so much, you know, un, 
unknown knowledge from so many different things, you know, previously unknown knowledge from so many different things. Just try to prepare for your guests, try to prepare for a conversation. If you're, you know, called on to be on a podcast that it's like, well, this podcast is kind of produces in a whole new angle. I've been on a podcast before where every guest has to personify an animal in some way, shape or form. Like you got to come, you got to pick an animal. It was like a comedy podcast. You got to pick an animal and you got to like have fun facts and talk and and like be in this such a way as a literally as the animal that you say you are. It always goes off to real world tangents, obviously, but it's still a fun concept. So you got to prepare for that. You got to pick one and also know enough fun facts about the thing. What would you say have you what would you say is your biggest um, lesson that you've learned in, in context of putting people in a and a space to tell their stories. What What is the, the biggest impact that you've seen from that? Well, first, I want to answer, like, what animal came to mind as you were talking about that. Um, <laughs> Shout out to Dan. I was, like, talking wild with, Dan. with my kids. And <laughs> we were talking about, like, Titanoboa because I think there was just a python that was caught in the news, and it was, like, almost 200 pounds. And mm. So then we watched this YouTube video on what would happen if like the Titanoboa snake was like still in existence today. And, you know, would that mess up the food chain? Would it go after humans? Do snakes usually attack humans anyway? So I was thinking, I don't know if I want to be a snake, but a Titanoboa seems kind of cool. Yeah. People kind of massive that, you know, that's a, that's a larger than life personality. <laughs> yeah. They're going to write legislation. If you, if you step into somewhere, Titanoboa, that means we need to we need to create some laws, we create some rules for this because you just can't just going anywhere. I do think that they would disrupt the food chain for sure. I think every I think every no matter what wild animal it is, you put them in. I'm assuming they got to be in a high place. Just throw them in Florida somewhere. Every alligator and crocodile and things would be like, hey, I don't know what's going on, but it's a new big fish in here in the pond. And we don't know what to do. <laughs> they eating up everything. They messing up everything, you know, so I can imagine that that would shake up the, the alligators world. might have to band together. <laughs> yeah, they got to They got to get together. It's like, hey, look, we usually don't, you know, mess with each other, but let's get it. Let's get it together for this. You know, we can we can we can barrel roll them together and, and get them down, you know. <laughs> um, so back to your question mm -hmm. about how do I get guests prepared? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I have worked with guests that want the show to be completely scripted mm. and even if the show is scripted I feel like you should try to make it conversational like for sure. I met before this and you sure. gave me kind of an idea of talking points and that's fine like a lot of people kind of want to think about the questions beforehand I actually don't operate in that way sometimes when guests want to come on my show and they want to suggest questions that they feel comfortable asking I'm like that's fine I'm just going to let you know though the questions are going to totally come out in the way that I would ask them so I think I think just like we met beforehand, it's good to have a pre-chat, make sure that the person is conversational and that you guys kind of have a vibe. I've been doing that a lot more lately, actually, even since we got together, because even if somebody has been on a lot of podcasts, you still got to make sure that you guys have a good back and forth. Period. Yeah, period. I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think pre-chats. If you can do them, do them. If you have the time for it, you don't want them to take two hours. You know, you don't want to turn it into a coaching session. But 
you know, 15 minutes to 30 minutes just to see that you guys can make some magic is good. Mm-hmm. Another way I really prepare is if they have a podcast, listen to the questions that they ask other people because chances are they're going to ask you similar things. This is true. What kind of messaging are they doing on their social media? I stalk people on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. I engage with their posts. Also, like if they're on Twitter, you can see how they reply to other people. You can kind of get a feel for their language. Mm-hmm. I think getting a feel for people's language and how they interact is a really big benefit to preparing to be on someone's show. I agree. I agree. I agree. Would you say that, you know, that every person, because I think everybody has a, you know, has a story per se. Um, but do you, what do you think it takes for people to really genuinely be able to tell their story? That's such a great question. For me, my favorite kind of guests are just very vulnerable. They're unedited and they're pretty much okay with having a conversation about anything. Mm. (laughs) You know, if somebody tells me I don't want to talk about X, Y, and Z, if they're starting off the conversation with already things that they don't want to talk about, I mean, everybody has something that they might not want to talk about, but if it's too much, that can turn into an editing fiasco. Like they might overshare in episode and then they're going to be like, Hey, can you cut out that chunk? Or, Hey, I overshared or, Hey, do you have to really put that in? And I'm going to be like, you know, like when I hit record, that was kind of an agreement. Yeah. So I think if you want to be on a podcast, you really got to either be able to self edit or work through some blocks before you tell your story. (laughs) Period. And I think people don't really realize how much of it is in their control. And I, I think about that all the time. Anytime people, you know, are all where, where we get so deep about something that is, you know, revealed via social media. And it's just like, I want everybody to keep in mind. They press the button to record themselves and then they put it online. I don't really feel sorry for them on this. <laughs> I don't really feel that bad about us now knowing this thing and the internet kind of coming down on them because we never had to get this information. They chose to sh- show this to us. Nobody was filming them or recording them without their permission. They chose, and, when I, and I, I speak in this vague way because it's so many different examples of this from, you know, you know, apologies for saying something problematic to, just expressing, you know, just being overly emotional online and now and then feeling shameful for it after the fact, because now the whole world, you thought you were going to make maybe more support. And now everybody's like, no, we don't support you. We actually think what you're crying about is silly and picking on you and bullying you in all these different ways. It's like, yeah, but you know what? You had a choice in sharing this. And the same way on the pod, like I'm never going to put anybody in a circumstance where they're going to I'm going to make them share something they don't want to share. But if you feel led to say something because I said something, that's on you. <laughs> like, you don't have to say a thing. I'm not forcing anything out of you. And the, the magic of being an interviewer is being able to work with whatever is given. A hundred percent. And I think, too, like if you're new to podcasting, there are hosts that are going to ask you questions like, tell me about yourself. Facts. So you you got to have some answers baked you know, not all podcasters are going to lead you in with something juicy or they're not going to do their research and really know you. So there are certain questions that you need to have baked, like who is Rena Friedman and Watts? Well, <laughs> your podcast about? How did your podcast start? What's a story chaser? You know, like yeah. if there are things on my profile, you got to be able to speak to them. Yeah. And I think that 
you got to have a 30 second elevator pitch. Mm -hmm. There are things that all podcasters do. They're going to ask, you know, how did you grow up? Tell me about yourself. You know, promote yourself at the end. Is there a quote that you want to leave us with? You got to have a quote or a book or a song or something up your sleeve because everybody throws you those curveballs and you Mm got to have something to say. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to think about those things prior. I agree. I agree. And I think that, you know, it's it's really easy to kind of get those things together because even if you are a person who really doesn't speak that often or really isn't a big talker, um, I've been in rooms and also had podcasts with people who always are so surprised after the fact of how much they share with me. And it's like sometimes it's really all about who you're speaking to and how they how they create how they make space for you to show up in whatever way you would like, you know, and I think that I have to tell people that all the time when it comes to them complimenting me for having such a good conversation and them being like, man, I ain't had a conversation like this in so long. And I'm like, I had these all the time. Like this, that's how I know it's, I, that's how I know I'm the common denominator in the thing because it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm good at making people comfortable. I'm good at being non-judgmental for what it is that's being spoken to me, but I'm also very much good at telling you what I think about whatever it is you're saying or whatever I feel about the, the thing. And for it to be, non-emotional enough that it keeps you engaged with me. It keeps you talking to me. And I've, I've, uh, it's, it's popped up in so many parts of my life. Cause it's not something I can turn off. I've, I've dated so many different people where it's like, I told you that. I can't believe I told you that. And I'm like, I ain't asked for you to tell me something that you ain't want to tell me. You told me what you wanted to tell me. So how can I say anything else? But the next question I have for you is like, because you've interviewed, you know, so many people as of today and, I think that something that I realized, you know, early on, when, especially in Braid's like first kind of, you know, launch was so much of, you know, the conversations that were starting to come on to that platform were, you know, things that was trying their best to kind of tip around particular problematic uh, conversations and trying to address those problematic conversations. And I think so much of social media now, that is the driving force of building any social media platform is how what are your community guidelines how are you going to be dealing with you know bots and various different like hate groups and because they're not like you know a knitting club and a book club aren't the only people who are going to make these you know groups on these various platforms they're not only ones who are going to create community on these various platforms so would you say that everyone everyone's opinion and perspective truly matters or is there this certain level of degree of political correctness that makes particular communities and ideologies more valid in, I guess, in today's society? Hmm. That's a really tough question. It's mm-hmm. a good question. I do think that everybody's opinion matters. And again, it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about mm-hmm. being open to learn mm-hmm. if you don't know the history or if you don't know the full picture or if you don't know somebody else's experience. I think that intention is a big piece and like pausing and not being so like reactionary. Mm -hmm. Also to bring it back to braid it and the launch of it and iterations of it, you know, the first video I made, I think was like, I think it was coming up on a Jewish holiday and I was like, have I wronged you this year? You know, <laughs> now I'm, like, I'm repenting. Yeah. You know, uh, 
And then I tagged some people actually that I felt like potentially I had wronged Mm -hmm. and I felt like doing it in a playful way and saying, Hey, you know, I'm sorry if I offended you this year or wronged you this year, make me a video if I offended you. And then I had a friend that shyly, she's so sweet. She sent me a message like you offended me because you moved out of Chicago. But other than that, no. So, you know, offending somebody can even be in a joking way. Mm -hmm. It can just open the conversation. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like I even tagged some people that I felt like might not have 100% been happy with me in the expectations of what we thought we could deliver together Mm -hmm. business wise. Mm -hmm. But I think that we left it on a good note, but you know, sometimes business relationships, you, you part ways, like you try to help people and maybe you're not the right person to help them, or maybe they weren't the right customer for you. And yeah, I tagged a couple of them and you know, they messaged me privately. Not everybody's going to feel comfortable sending you something that you can share publicly, but it does, it does open a conversation by making a braid and like making it personal, making a video where you record yourself and you can make a video. You can now reply via text or image, you know, pick the way in which you want to respond. But I think braid is fun because it's a way to store it all in one place and it's a new way to interact. Mm, I agree. I agree. I agree. And I think for me, I really do believe that um, every opinion matters. I say it like this. Every opinion and perspective definitely matters. I think that the because that's just speaking to, you know, the acknowledgement of, you know, you as a person, agency and all those things. I think it's a very basic level of things. I think, unfortunately, the fact that we even can craft a question like that because there's been some sense of certain people's perspectives weighing heavier than others. Uh, But I do believe that I think that something that is heavily, heavily, I feel like pushed back against on the internet is the judgment of your opinion. I think that people don't like the idea of being judged for their opinion um, in a various amount of ways. We see it all the time in comedy where, you know, people can people intentionally might make offensive comedy and then get upset that people are offended. And to me, I see it as well. this should never be a statement that ever comes out of your mouth. If you are conscious enough of the content that you're making, you're making jokes that are, you know, that are crass, that are, you know, going to cut cut, maybe even cut people pretty deeply making jokes of, uh, at other people's expense, that's your style of comedy. So if you are if you don't have a I don't care attitude attached with that and you could forever complaining about the world being too sensitive and all these other things, I don't think you're really aware of what you're doing. <laughs> so I'm going to definitely push back on the delivery of the thing because how conscious are you of the thing? If you do political comedy and people are forever debating you and you're like, why are you always arguing with me? It's like, you do political comedy. Like, it's pretty easy. Like, <laughs> politics is always a space and place of extremes. So, why wouldn't people who listen to you or hear your comedy on, the, you know, just passerby argue with you or have, have more opinions about what it is that your stances are, you know? Hence why the people who are the, you know, just the people who just have things about sex and life and observational comedy. That's why it seems like they're so cushy and can have such a long and, you know, wholesome type of career because nobody's arguing with them. It doesn't create a reaction, but a laugh or some familiarity. So I think that 
that's just a you know a very specific example, but I see it a lot with everybody's individual platforms online that it's like, dang, I just can't say what I wanted to say or whatever. And it's like, yes, you can. It's not about you not being able to say it. It's about what you say. <laughs> and I think that a lot of people have, have to contend to with that. That might be a little controversial, but you know, I've had podcasters in their pre-interview forms or, you know, their information gathering about you prior to being on their show, they, you know, they ask for my pronoun and I might respond human, mm-hmm. you know, um, that might offend them, but you know, I'm clearly like a mom of four. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't know. Like, do they really need, is that on job applications now? Like, I don't know. For sure it is. And then, I think it is. Is it? A okay. lot, for a lot of them, depending then, on the company. And then, too, um, I had somebody who sent me, you know, the link to their podcast and some questions that they were going to ask me beforehand. And, you know, his one rule was don't use the N-word. I was like, okay, fair enough. I mean, like, I wasn't planning on doing that anyway. But interesting that he had to write that in his pre-email. So that means it must have happened before. You know, I'm probably more than once. But don't use that word. And I'm like, you know, that that should be obvious. But look, you know, if that's something that really pisses you off, yes, include that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, and and regardless of whoever it's coming from, it's probably the context because there are definitely people who have that as a preference. But to me, I (laughs) I think that, you know, to, to me, I think that, you know, what we are, you know, what we truly need to start to contend with is being wholly responsible with the impact of what we're saying. You know, like, I think that we are certainly responsible for what we're saying and all those things. But I think that what happens so often is people get almost like almost counter offended that somebody else is offended by something that they say instead of actually being aware enough to be like something that you can say can actually offend someone. And I think that that's the thing that people are so detached from is that because their intention was to just say whatever they were saying, to be funny, to just say what their personal opinion was, that that thing ultimately ended up into an offensive place. That's it's hard for them to contend with it. While for me, it's a it it, it doesn't really matter that much because, like I said to you in the pre-interview, I sleep real good at night with my opinions that I have about myself, about the world, so many different things. You know, I think I'm a very poly, very positive uh, person. But um, but I'm definitely cynical about certain things as well. And so I, so certain topics, certain things, you know, given my real real view of it may actually offend someone um, because that's just what I feel about. it. That's I, I don't I, it's hard for me to see it any other way. But also I can explain it. I can give you facts. I can give you opinions. I can give you facts that are, you know, my opinions that are based in particular facts that I've drawn from and read from. And that's how I got to where I'm at. And I'm grounded in that feeling. And I'm not really shaking until I get some new information that truly makes me think, you know what? I never thought about it that way. And I'm going to have to consider that. But I'm open. But I'm always open yeah, to Yeah, I was going to say there that. is a space between what we know and what we feel. Yes. And you have to know that there is room there. Yes, certainly. Certainly. And I think that a lot of people don't like the idea of, you know, being pushed to <laughs> process um, to process in that way. But I think that that's what social media has done. I think people don't realize that you have signed or better yet, opted into a public forum and a forum has uh, some type of parliamentarian 
type of, you know, processes that you opt into. It's just a, it's, it's too many people for it not to. So you being allowed to say certain things on particular flat platforms, people get upset about it. I was like, this is a private company owned by specific people. Yes, they can say this isn't allowed on their playground. You know, they don't have yep. to. This is not yep. a free range of things. You can go somewhere else where that, where that is probably allowed. But also, too, you now have to contend with what that means. If you now have to go to a place where a majority of the people there are constantly doing um, are constantly doing problematic things. You know what I'm saying? So what is it that you really are trying to do? What is it you're really trying to represent? Because. I think very often nowadays I've noticed so many podcasters fall down the rabbit hole of feeling like they are being censored in some way, shape or form because some opinion or some viral moment that they had where they got negative feedback about something that they're saying. And then they lean so heavy into wanting to bring in people who are are the true spokespeople for problematic takes and are constantly on the Internet doing that thing because they now feel like I get Andrew Tate now because they got at me because I said that cranberry sauce was not, it does not need to be on the, you know, the table for Thanksgiving. It's weird. It's not a meal. It's a thing. So I will have Andrew Tate on next week and we're going to talk about sex trafficking da, 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 and how it's actually kind of okay. Okay. See me next week. Like what? That's crazy. How do we go from you being, you know, uh, ostracized for your opinion and that's, it is what it is. Like you have to be able to contend, actually stay in the conversation and either defend your point and speak to it or just tell people, I'm going to stand in this. I understand that people don't really agree with me on this one, but this is genuinely how I feel. And I, it's, I'm kind of, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty grounded in this feeling and that's it. And if people want to continue to argue with you, you can let them argue with themselves. You know, my last question to you is, um, I think you've built this really cool community on, on, on you know, on your Facebook group that you've spoken to. Um, and that you, and you and I think that that is a key key for anybody listening who has a podcast that are growing. Finding a way to, you know, collect your community in a particular space is definitely key. You know, and I, I always tell people who are starting podcasts, focus in on a small number, like of 150 people and then allow that to do whatever it's going to do. You know, because once you get that 150 number. You know, the, the opportunity is so, you know, so far ahead of you because, you know, these people, you know, their names and you know that they're listening on a on a whatever frequency. Um, what would you say are what would you say are going to be the use cases that you see using Braid for your for your own you know private community, either on Facebook or whatever ways that you can see Braid being used in your um, to collect collect responses, whatever you believe. How can you see yourself using Braid for your community? So. Like you said, I have a Facebook group. It's called Business Laughs and LinkedIn. And truthfully, I don't even talk about LinkedIn that much, but LinkedIn was one of the first platforms where I really started like sharing my story. And I had a couple corporate roles where it was my job all day to reach out to people on LinkedIn. So that's where I first started like developing a following. So I created a Facebook group for the people that have come on my podcast. You know, it's a place that you can come afterwards. It's a place where I ask a lot of questions of the audience. Um, I was at one point like doing Zooms if I had somebody that was on the show that did like a master talk on something. So I'd invite people from this group to like hop on a Zoom with me once a month. Or if there was like a celebrity guest, like one of the nannies from Nanny 911 came in there a couple times. 
And, and I, I would like to engage with my audience in different ways. Like sometimes if I have a great guest and they're really active on Instagram live, I'll do a Instagram live follow-up versus another podcast mm. with them. You know, you want to engage with people in different ways. And so where I see braid fitting into that is if I, if I ask my audience a question, like, do you still believe in the American dream or, you know, badly describe what you do for a living you know, the questions that get a lot of engagement, I can then re-ask that question in a braid, in a video. I mean, yeah. you've got to repurpose your ideas that are successful and do them again and again, but ask in a different way. So instead of saying, do you believe in the American dream? You could say, hey, are you first generation here? Or do you know anybody that has a first generation story? You know, something that complements even that idea or did your parents live the American dream or how does your family upbringing play into what you've done for a living? Right. So you can take kind of like the same ideas, but then rephrase it as a video, or you could even just create a short braid and then put it in one of your posts that did well and say, Hey, if you responded to one of these posts, send me a video with the same message. Let's start a chain. I like that. I like that. I like that. I think that a lot of people got to understand that, you know, in today's world that all social media is moving to a space to where you are technically just having to form some type of direct marketing strategy um, to be able to connect with people and for them to feel seen. IG now is prioritizing things like their, you know, broadcast channels and things within the DMs way more and their stories um, and close friends way more than every other thing. They don't even care about the feed. <laughs> the feed doesn't even matter as much anymore. That's just kind of just a gallery of things that people can show. But it's really about, you know, people engaging with each other and having some satisfaction on these platforms, either especially if it's a, you know, a, a extremely content heavy or a space for people to gather and communicate. Either one is kind of the thing. So finding particular solutions is what you really should be doing. Um, and I believe that Braid is certainly one of those uh, solutions that can assist a lot of people to get the conversations going to for you to be able to collect those conversations and help you also create more content, <laughs> you know, like getting those specific responses is really a thing. And I really am glad that, that you're going to be able to utilize exactly that for your own community um, and be something that they can also see themselves possibly using as well. Um, I appreciate you, Rena, for giving me a time. Um, this has been great. Uh, definitely, definitely, you know, definitely would love to have you back on another time to keep it, keep the conversations going and to follow up with you and to see how you're doing on another day. Uh, but we're going to keep this thing on going. Please let everybody know how they can follow you, keep up with you and your daddy, you know? <laughs> Thank you so much, Rodney. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, we should make some braids together. For right? sure. Like, I want to give a shout out to the founder, Michael, because yeah, shout not out to all Michael. founders, like, personally like check in with you and want to know how you're experiencing the app and brands that do that make me want a relationship with them. And Michael is that kind of founder. And Period. so, I mean, he's been checking in with me like once every couple of weeks, we come up with ideas of how I can use it and he's been super supportive. So I would make some braids with you. We could check in like once every couple of weeks, make a braid. You know, that's what the podcasting community is like. Like if creators are doing something cool, find ways in which your talents can complement someone else's. I agree. And if you want to do that, reach out to me, bettercalldaddy.com, rena at bettercalldaddy.com, or find me on 
LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter with Rena Friedman and Watts. <laughs> it's a thing. We need to get shirts made. We need to get shirts made, Rena. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, I, I have been Rodney Perry, also known as King. This has been Rena Friedman Watts, and this is the Brave Podcast. Talk to y'all later. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by Life is King Creative hosted by and produced by Rodney Perry in cooperation and partnership with Braided Inc. Thanks for listening. Make sure that you subscribe for more Braid content.